Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. Good afternoon. Uh, welcome to Intergenerational Recovery. My name is Dan. I'm a psychoholic. I'll be your leader uh, for this session and a panelist. So, um, in the spirit of the fifth tradition, to carry the message, this session will be recorded. The recorder will not be turned off during this session. If you do not wish to be recorded, you may participate by listening or attend another session. We ask that those who choose to share step up to the microphone so that those who listen to the recording can follow the discussion. Uh, Please join me uh, in a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. Serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Sexaholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for SA membership. We're self-supporting through our own contributions. SA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any cause. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and help others to achieve sexual sobriety. Um, And because our common welfare comes first here, the guidelines for sharing during this meeting, we do not cross-talk. That is, we share with the group as a whole rather than addressing any individual member. We speak in the I, not the we or the you. We leave our other identities at the door, including politics, religions, therapies, treatment centers, occupations, and other 12-step issues. We speak about and from the SA point of view. Our meetings focus on the SA approach to recovery, so whenever possible, we avoid the mention of titles and authors that are not SA-approved literature. We avoid profanity, sexual descriptions, and sexually abusive language. When sharing strays, we can remind each other of our commitment to these guidelines by quietly raising our hands. Our panelists for this session are myself, Dan M., uh, and... My father, Dave M., Uh, each of our panelists will share for a few minutes on the topic. We will then open the meeting for sharing or questions. Again, we ask that those who choose to share step up to the microphone so that those who listen to the recording can follow the discussion. We ask that you be mindful of the time to allow others a chance to share. Um, And to start off, I'd like to introduce my dad, Dave M. Thank you, Dan. Um, 
I'm Dave McClintock, and I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. Hey, family, it's really glad. Uh, it's just great to kick this off uh, by being up here with you. Um, I'd like to share some experience, strength, and hope. Uh, I think the problem of sexaholism probably existed uh, a thousand years uh, in my family, uh, going back uh, to around the, the uh, turn of the uh, 1070 or so when one of the McClintocks was called the Black Cock of the West. And I never understood that. And somehow, in the whole um, you know, craziness of, uh, of this disease, uh, I'm beginning to slowly kind of piece together that this is a disease that follows generation to generation. And unless it is checked by a power greater than myself, somehow I'm not going to be able to recover from its effects. But what I want to share with you today is that I do have hope and I do have a sense that somehow, um, in my experience anyway, that um, there's good news, there's hope. And so I'd like to share a little bit about that. I grew up in a Navy family. We moved uh, in the first uh, ten years of my life five times. And so one of the things that I uh, did not learn was what a good friend was, uh, what friendship was about. Never had a real sense of connection uh, to other uh, kids. I remember Mike Moran in fifth grade was somebody that I uh, had connected with, and his dad was in the Army. And so after about uh, seven or eight months, uh, we, you know, we, he told me one night we had a sleepover together, and he said, Dave, uh, my dad's getting transferred. He's moving the next day. And uh, so Mike was gone from my life. And so at some point along the, uh, in along the way, I just decided to, uh, to give up on friendship and learn to, uh, to live, to turn inward. And it was great because my mother was a librarian and she had all these books. And it was great because I learned the great fantasy escape. I started going way, way out there with some of the great stories in fiction and some of the heroic kinds of, of uh, novels and stories and uh, began to turn my life uh, inward. And as I did that, um, I learned a lot of stuff. I became a, a bookworm and, and uh, was able to do really well in school because I had a good memory. And, um, but what really puzzled me was uh, one day, um, as a kid about 11 years old, uh, I looked in my father's closet and he had a uh, pinup from a men's magazine in there. Uh, of a naked woman, which I had never seen before. And uh, that was uh, a moment like the alcoholic shares that had the first drink. When I took that first drink, I became a sex addict. And it was magical because I began my continued search for the goddess and uh, went through high school um, trying to find and uh, have that experience of, of uh, the magical union between uh, male and female. And, uh, you know, got a lot of encouragement from my culture. And uh, there, were, um, there were lots of folks around that were telling me, this is the way to go. You know, and, and, and the guys, you know, the guys. I mean, if you were one of the guys, then you were going to go out and do things that were guy things. And what I found was that uh, despite my best efforts in high school, the, the, the guy thing that was the ultimate guy thing never got completed. But, you know, that, there was time. 
And so in my uh, naval background, I ended up uh, getting a uh, scholarship to the U.S. Naval Academy in, in uh, 1965, entered the plebe class there, and uh, it didn't take long to uh, understand that uh, that being in the Navy was a search in my way of uh, being kind of a introverted bookworm, uh, fairly good athlete, but nothing spectacular, that uh, chasing after women and drinking and being one of the guys was the uh, the role that was laid out in front of me. I had a goal. I wanted to be a Navy Top Gun. And uh, and so after uh, three and a half, or excuse me, four years at the Academy, graduated, went to flight training in Pensacola and became um, the pilot of my dreams. I did that kind of stuff and flew off aircraft carriers at night and uh, scored perfect scores and bombing runs and stuff like that. And uh, all this time, and I do have to share this with you, honestly, I, I was afraid of heights. Now, how does anybody do that? Uh, I was completely out of touch with my feelings. You know, I had grown up and, and walled myself off. So I just had, you know, uh, just get up there and do it, you know, and come back and wonder why. You know, I'd break out in hives or, you know, I'd start sweating uh, profusely before I had to go fly at night. And... and uh, the uh, the sex, sexual part of that, uh, you know, was the uh, the victor takes the spoils kind of attitude, and and there were always women around to be companions. 1972 uh, found a, a woman who would listen to me uh, and accept me for who I was, and so uh, it didn't take me long to figure out that this was uh, that my wife Dana was the one, and uh, so I, not. To waste much time, um, after two weeks I asked her to marry me, and we were married six weeks later, and uh, and three days later we were uh, uh, separated. Uh, I went on a cruise for ten months to the Mediterranean, and she followed me around. Actually, the first year of our marriage, I spent more time uh, with uh, my roommate on the forestall than I did with my wife, and uh, that was a little bit out of balance. So much so that she said to me, you know, I really love you and would like to spend some time with you and so shall we talk? And I said, ooh. So there's someone else that entered my life there and I began to think uh, about what intimacy uh, might begin to look like, someone I could really be committed to and not just have one night stands the rest of my life. Became a person of faith at that point and uh, through some Pretty amazing circumstances uh, found that uh, after uh, two years, uh, I was able to uncover the fact that maybe it wasn't the best thing for me to fly around at the speed of sound uh, in the middle of the night, and uh, left the Navy. Uh, went through a number of things. The addiction deepened. Uh, I did not, uh, and I can say it honestly and, and very thankfully that in 37 years, I've never had intercourse with anyone outside of my marriage. Uh, however, there have been a lot of emotional affairs, and a lot of intriguing, and a lot of use of pornography, and, and those types of, of uh, behaviors that all of us in the room are familiar with in terms of masturbation and so forth. So what I think really uh, kind of began to, that's a little bit about how it was, and, and then what happened. Well, uh, my wife and I uh, are committed people of faith, serve the faith community, uh, and so we would take regular vacations. Every three months or so, we'd take some time, just go spend time together for about a week. And uh, we would go down to the beach. And I would go to the beach, and she would go to the beach. And one day we were at a condo, and sitting there next to me, 
uh, on my right was a beautiful woman who was my wife. And then on my left, there was a beautiful woman in a bikini that was orange. And she was not my wife. And so I struck up a conversation with the woman on my left. And uh, uh, the woman on my right, my wife, got up and went up back up to our condo. And I just was a little puzzled. And so I followed my wife back up there and I said, Honey, what's going on? Uh, She said, I hate it when you do that. And I said, Do what? (laughs) The chorus resounded, in case you didn't get that on tape. And she said, You know, I think you need some help. And, you know, after being married at that point, I was in my mid-40s, so I'm thinking that's, you know, 20, about 20 years in. Uh, I said, okay, you know, it sounds good to me. I'll, I'll get some help. Uh, and it, there was sort of a sense of, of uh, desperation anyway. Like, is this all life's really about, asking myself those hard questions? And I found a, a, a sister fellowship um, and that's fellowship, and went and practiced uh, the steps for five years there. And then after I could not keep sober, uh, went on uh, to come in, into these rooms here at, uh, at Sexaholics Anonymous and really found the fellowship and the life and the connection that I was looking for. That's important because what happened as I began to work the program was um, son, our son Dan, who's here with me, uh, was about uh, 10 years old at the time, or maybe 11 years old, and had begun to really, uh, he can tell you his own story, but had begun to really question uh, um, his own sexuality. He will share his story with you. But uh, what he did see with his father uh, was someone who was, was uh, going off to these meetings, and, uh, and I can say that what the good news of this uh, intergenerational recovery has meant to me is that I have a host of friends. I have more happiness and freedom and joy in my life than I've ever had in my life at this point. And I have a son who's in recovery. And I have a wife who's in the rooms next door in Essendon. And that when we um, get together and are able to come here, and share with you that this program works if I choose to work it. It means more to me than anything in my life right now. Uh, Just to be able to share that joy and that that hope with you because I believe, the God of my understanding, wants each of us to have that experience of freedom. And, you know, as we open it up a little later on, I hope maybe we can can get that out and and you can ask some questions and share your own experience, strength, and hope because we have by no means got it all right. And I just want to say thank you for the opportunity to share. Um, I'm Dan M. McClintock. I'm a sex addict. Hey. Um, I guess I can kind of start by saying I don't remember very much... uh, of dad when I was a kid. I don't remember. Um, the times I do remember him are when he would uh, kind of explode or go into a rage, and that was that's when I knew he was there. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> um, I, uh, 
it was it was kind of like growing up mom was very there in the forefront but dad was sort of like uh like one of the um cardboard things that you take a picture with you know no offense dad <laughs> it was either that or he was uh exploding and getting furious and angry so i i kind of did the same thing where i went inward i would always go up to my room and um you know hide or my thing was I started to play music and I write music and this and whatnot. So, anyways, um, that that was kind of what it looked like uh, early on for me. And then I had the same sort of revelation when I first uh, discovered pornography. I was showed a picture, and a friend of mine had a magazine or something. And it was just like, oh my gosh, you know, like this is what life is about. This is what it's supposed to be. This, you know, I'm good now. I'm set. This is all I need to do, you know. And uh, so I did. And um, I started to um, watch pornography whenever I could, get mag, you know, this kind of stuff. Um, and I also started to experiment with people, uh, with kids, usually kids that were younger than me, some around my age. But and it didn't really matter if it was a guy or a girl. It was like I'm just so curious sexually. I just wanted to get the high and get that experience. It didn't really matter. Um, and so there was a couple um, of those experiences where I would experiment with other people. And bring that back in later on. I I went into middle school and high school, continued doing this stuff. And when I was, I think, 13 or 14, I guess, uh, I remember a change in him. And I didn't know about the meetings at all at first. I just noticed that he started kind of like talking talking with me more and he would he would touch my shoulder more, he would give me a hug or and what was funny was at first I kind of, it, for me it was kind of like whoa 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 whoa. Like, what are you doing now? You're doing this now, you know? And I was kind of angry, but then at the same time I started to really like in a small way be attracted to that and just kind of say, "Okay, and uh, and then eventually I I think I they found pornography in my room or something my folks did and and Dad sat down with me and said okay you know I had the same problem too I I um, look at this stuff and I lust and it's a problem for me and I actually go to these meetings about it and at that point I was 15 or 16 and I was kind of like, cool whatever <laughs> good you know um, and so. And then just picked it back up again. I, I was had a series of long-term relationships where I would just act out with the girl I was dating, and it was. I noticed, um, in hindsight, this is something that my sponsor kind of like made me aware of, but that I would do this thing with pornography where I would buy a magazine, I would use it, and I would throw it away, and then I would. I noticed this parallel sort of where I would date this girl, get have sex with her. And then get rid of her and never talk to her again. I was like, oh, that's interesting, you know that. Um, um, and so that's kind of what I did until the age of 24. But when I was 20, I had an experience where um, my parents received a letter from the parents of one of the kids that I had acted out with. It was a, it was a, a younger guy that I had acted out with when I was nine. He was eight, and the letter said. Um, you know, our son's been in therapy, and it's come up that he was abused by your son. Um, and they got the letter, and they called me into the living room, and they sat me down, and they, and they just 
you know, said, did you do this? And, uh, <clears throat> and I, <laughs> I kind of played like, yeah, I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. It sounds weird. Maybe something like that happened. It was kind of like the denial was starting to get, you know, uh, messed with, I guess. But I, um, eventually kind of broke down and didn't say I, what I exactly had done, but I, I confess. I said, yeah, there's something that happened. So anyways, at that point, my um, my dad said, well, you're going to come to one of these meetings with me. Um, and I said, okay, that's fine. I'll go just to get you off my back. And so I went, and honestly, I can say I wasn't really there. I wasn't really, like, tuned into it. I didn't connect really at the first couple I went to. Um, I sort of just went because... He he was making me go because of this thing that had happened, and so. But, um, but I remember the first. I, I don't know how many meetings it was I went to or not. But the first uh, meeting I went to, where someone was given their first step, and the guy just told my story exactly. He kind of walked all the way through it, and I just I wept for three hours after the meeting. I walked out. I had to leave the meeting early, and he followed me out, and I was just just weeping and. Uh, that's 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 when I I knew that that's when I what I needed to continue to do was come to these meetings. So um, so through this entire time, uh, I'm still dating these girls. I'm still uh, acting out with them, and you know breaking up with them, and using pornography and masturbating every day. You know, three to four times a day sometimes. And. Um, it took me a long time. I came to meetings for a long time. It was 2001 to 2006 before I even got a sponsor. I was coming to meetings for five years, just coming to get relief, just to get in there and to be able to relate and then feel a little bit better so I could go back out and act out again. I mean, it was I, was, I wasn't ready, really. And my sponsor was just so aggravated and so frustrated. I think at one point he was like, just, he was like, just don't come anymore. Why are you coming to meetings? You know, what's, what's your... But I kept coming. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and finally kind of hit bottom um, in 2007 uh, oh and I came to conventions I came to like three or four conventions during the time uh, was a, was around and I was always kind of like just freaked out to be here not talking to anybody would go up to my room hang out by myself and isolate <laughs> Uh um, and so I finally hit my bottom and my sponsor said I was on step seven and I'd kind of just been doing the steps like oh that's another let's just get this done let's do this and he said let's go back to step one let's do this for real and so we did and started working it. and I really you know um, started working the steps and things started to change and the promises started to happened in my life and um and this whole the whole time too with that he's he's supporting me this entire time not um he stopped making me come to meetings after about a month he was just kind of like he just wanted to get me in there to see and but uh he would just listen and just be really patient with me and there's a number of times where I was staying with them where I would be acting out on their computer, you know, he's been sober, and mom, mom's in program too, and I'm acting on their computer, and he would just come downstairs 
and just sit with me and I would just cry and just I can't stop doing this and he would just sit and listen and it was it was pretty uh, I'm really grateful for that because that was that was just a powerful thing for me but I I um this the program works the steps work and I'm continuing to work them uh I don't have any sponsees yet. I just I'm working step ten through twelve right now. I don't have any sponsees, sponsees yet. My sponsor keeps going. You need to get some sponsees. I'm not, I'm like I, I don't go and ask people to, for me to sponsor them. You know they ask they're supposed to ask me. You know, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, and one of the highlights and joys of recovery for me has been uh, our amends, my amends with with Dad because I was very very angry with him uh, for a long time for not giving me what I thought that I wanted or needed and um, also really fearful of him obviously I mean he would go into the rages and so I kind of carried that with me and I finally one day we were just having a conversation and the amends kind of just happened and I said I've been so scared of you and so angry with you for so long and I don't want to carry that around anymore and and since then, um, it's kind of felt like he's not been my dad anymore. It's like he's just one of my really close friends. And so uh, that's a huge gratitude for me as well. Um, so I think it's time for if that we open it up for sharing. If anybody has wants to share or has any questions, uh, go for it. Yeah. Yeah, you can come up. Yeah. My name is Robin. I'm a sexaholic. Hey, Robin. Um, my father died um, about a year and a half ago. No, about two years ago now. He's 92 years old. Um, two months after he died, I got together with the family for kind of a get-together memorial. And my sister was responsible for him. And she talked to me and my brother, and she says, you know, the hardest thing about this whole thing after he died was continuing me continuing to receive his you know pornographic magazines and I just thought wow all these years he's no, he's 92 years old my father's is a sex addict and he never talked to me about it I had shared with him about my sexual addiction and that I was coming to meetings um, and he didn't get it he didn't get it but we grew up I grew up in a household with an alcoholic mother um, and he never got that he never wanted to ever acknowledge that she had a problem with alcohol till the day he died and he wouldn't talk about that. So, I mean, it doesn't surprise me in retrospect that he didn't get it. But this whole intergenerational thing, I mean, I, um, I thought I was coming to another topic, but I'm glad I came into this. I have a son, and I'm, I'm worried about my son. My wife, she says she's not worried about him, but maybe from a man's point of view, I'm worried about him. When he was still living with us a few years ago, I did find some pornography in the house. 
when we talk with him about the girls he goes out with, he says, well, they're skanks. You know, and he discards them. Um, and um, my wife doesn't want me to talk to him about my sexual addiction. She's embarrassed by it. But she's now in Essanon, and she's going to have to deal with that because there's going to come a time when I'm going to have to tell him. And she's going to have to deal with that too because we'll work on it together, but it's going to have to happen because I'm very impressed by the work that you guys have done. And I, I surely hope I mean, I hope my son's not a sex addict. I don't know if he is or not. But if he is, we've got to talk about it. That's all I know. And I've got a daughter, and I've never talked to her either. And I, I can't shelter my kids from the sickness that I have and we have in our family. That's, that, that's wrong. Hopefully my wife will come to terms with that. But I thank you very much for allowing me to share with you. I'm Dick. I'm a sex addict. Uh, I live in Annapolis, Maryland. And I can tell you this gentleman is representative of the quality of young men and women we have at, at our great Naval Academy. Thank you, Dave. And thanks, Dan, for your share. Um, I have a son who's 47 years old, a rageaholic, very successful business person, can be charming and gracious. I've made a disclosure and an amends to him about my addiction, um, and I, I feel like there's this huge gap between us, and I would really welcome advice from someone uh, he lives in uh, Colorado. I live in Maryland. We see each other two or three times a year. Uh, there's really not a lot of connection. Uh, I'd love to know how to deal with it because I'm sure he, he has addiction. I've seen him, well, he repeats my life, and it just, it's a very sad thing. So anyone has any ideas about how to connect with an adult son who lives a long way away, uh, I'd welcome it. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks, David. I'm Dave M. Also Dave M. Hey there. Well, the real Dave M. Please stand up. <laughs> also a sexaholic. Um, I'd like to thank you guys for your courage and honesty. It was really beautiful um, what you have, the relationship you guys have forged together really is a great example. Um, there's a need for me to see this topic. Um, an aunt who died a few years ago, and she was interested in genealogy, and she found, um, she went back generations, and she found a letter from, I think it must have been like my, I think it was great-great, or probably great-granduncle to a great-grandfather or a great-great-grandfather about their father and what to do about him. This is like early 1800s. Um, he was, I guess my great-great-grandfather was in um, Baltimore, and then somebody else, the other guy, the uncle, was in Jamaica. 
but our fa- their father was in a rooming a boarding house in um, Manhattan somewhere and had run out of money and they were trying to come up with the money <coughs> for their dad um, and they said somewhere in the letter they said well, of course he can't um, come into the house mother would never countenance him coming into the house you know trying to read between the lines I don't know um, if it was alcohol. My father was an alcoholic. Um, but I've kind of wondered if it was sex addiction back then. But I found out about, um, I guess I sort of got the bug, the virus, the same way that Dave described finding my father's porn. And um, knowing what my son's face on the Internet and how much more um, vivid and graphic stuff they can find and how much more easily they can find it, um, I know they struggle. Um, I had a conversation with my son when he was about 16, and I wasn't quite as quite as honest as um, Dave described. I think I probably confused him a little bit. I tried to tell him that I struggled with it without quite getting to the point. Um, but fortunately or unfortunately, I thought it was the worst thing that ever happened to me, and in retrospect, it may have been the best thing that ever happened, at least to my son's. My ex-wife knew a lot about my um, addiction, and she told everything to them at about age 16 and 14, all the gory details. So there was no longer any point in me hiding it from them, and it became an opportunity for me to talk to them. And um, I don't know exactly what they struggle with. Um, They haven't come to me and expressed um, uh, a concern about sexual addiction, but I periodically talk about it and just try and make it clear to them that there's help out there if they ever need it. Um, so thanks so much for this talk. This is very good. Hi, I'm Les. I'm a sexaholic. Hi, thanks, guys. An inspiration. So uh, I became sexualized when I was two, three, four years old. Uh, my father. You know, in retrospect, I realized that my father was always uh, uh, sexual jokes, and you know, when I got old enough to date, you know, uh, how you made out tonight, you know, all the all the sexual stuff, and um, you know, I, I followed in his footsteps uh, when he was in his 60s. He filed, uh, he fathered a child out of wedlock with a woman who worked for him, a young woman. So, um, I've got a son. He's 29 now, and. Um, He's followed me in lots of good ways. He followed me into music, became better than me, followed me into my profession. I think he'll be better than me. But he's also, I believe, followed me into my addictions. And I'm a recovering alcoholic and drug addict as well as a sex addict. And I know he drinks too much. And um, I believe that uh, you know, just seeing his pattern and what I've heard from other people, that he treats women the same way I did, that he's a serial Dater, um, and um, has only had one serious relationship in his, you know, that I know of in his life when he was going to school down here in Vanderbilt. Um, so he grew up in a war zone, and you know, I was sober for uh, a number of years in another program, and I thought I was sober. Um, and, uh, you know, it wasn't until about ten and a half months ago when I realized, I didn't realize, I found out the hard way. My wife discovered what I had been doing, um, and I got into therapy, into this program, that I had another addiction. All this time that I thought I was sober, you know, I wasn't. I was numbing out another way. 
and not dealing with my feelings another way. In fact, I've been doing that a lot longer than I've been you know, drinking and doing drugs. So where it brings me to is um, my, my wife and I are having a session with my son a week from, this, from tomorrow with our couples counselor, and there's going to be disclosure. I'm going to be disclosing what's going on. Uh, you know, what I've done and what my life has been like and what his mother's life has been like. Um, and, uh, you know, I understand for us, you know, different people feel different ways. For us, that's a necessary part of our recovery. Um, I'm hoping that my son, um, first of all, has an under- gets an understanding of why his mother behaved certain ways, why I behaved certain ways, why this war was going on that he was in the middle of. Um, And I'm also hoping that maybe uh, it shines the light or opens the door, if even just a tiny crack for a little light to show in so that maybe he doesn't have to go as deep, you know, as far down the road or, uh, you know, down the road to deprivation or, that's the wrong word, Degradation that I did, um, and I'm terrified. <laughs> but uh, you know, um, by the grace of God and the work that I've done in this and other programs, you know, I'll, I'll work through that fear and do what I have to do. And um, you know, hearing you guys is just inspirational. You know, so got my fingers crossed. Pray for me. Thank you. Uh, Dave Mack again. I'd like to just share, share with you uh, on uh, on response uh, that Dan uh, and uh, Dana and I went to uh, to Minnesota and did a had a professional intervention done uh, in uh, when Dan was 19, and uh, it was it was very helpful. I think Dan would have to give his feedback on that. Uh, but we did take steps to address the issue when we found that there was uh, a problem. It was a significant issue presenting. And I think that, uh, that any means that you can use to, uh, to make that communication and open the communication are helpful. So I just wanted to add that to the conversation. Thank you. Hi, good evening. My name is Mike. Hey, Mike. I'm a grateful recovery sexaholic. It's really good to see that we have a topic about father-son generationally. I've been to a lot of uh, conferences. This is the only meeting I can ever remember. If it was, I probably wouldn't go to it because I'd probably be scared to death. Uh, It's true. It is generational. I knew that my father was a sex addict because that's how I found out. I found his stash hidden in the basement, so I stole his stash, hid it somewhere else, and I used it. You know, I found his stash when I was six years old, and I knew that I wasn't supposed to be looking at that stuff. But, yeah, the the family was just so dysfunctional, like a lot of our... It's the way I grew up, just total dysfunction, a lot of alcoholism and sexaholism. I wanted so much to be with my dad. I just wanted him to be with me, be a friend, be a friend to me. But it never happened because he was, uh, you know, just a rageaholic alcoholic. And later on I would find a sexaholic. So this is what I grew up with. This is why I became a sexaholic. I didn't become an alcoholic. Uh, 
my son, <coughs> he's uh, 41 years old now, born in 1968. And uh, I haven't seen my son now for five years. And I have five grandchildren that I haven't seen yet either. They're up in D.C. I, uh, I got my son involved. I taught my son. I was a friend to my son. I thought the best way to be a friend of my son was to teach him what I knew how to do best. So I took him on my golf trips with me. I took him to other places around, and I taught him about topless bars, and I taught him about prostitution. This is how I raised my son. This is what I taught him. Well, married to his mom for 25 and a half years, and probably acted out for 25 of those years. So I've tried, I've tried to reconnect with my son. And he wants to say, he says, no, it's okay, it's okay, I forgive you. And I'm thinking, this doesn't sound right. You know, where's all the rage? Where's all the anger, man? I messed up your life. He's an alcoholic. I know that he's an alcoholic. And I darn well bet that he's probably a sexaholic too. Because some of his gifts from his wife are subscriptions to magazines and stuff. So, so it's really, you know, I feel that there's still hope. I'm running out of time. You know, I feel like three quarters of my life is over. I don't have a lot of time left. So it's nice to see a father-son that can make it work. I just wanted to be a friend, and I didn't know how. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you. My name's Dave, a sexaholic. I don't. I just know I was led to come up here, uh, not not for any. I, I'm new to the program. <clears throat> the last year of my life's been <clears throat> torturous, but uh, it's interesting that I. Well, I chose to come into this session because <clears throat> I'm a lot smarter than I actually. Uh, I know a lot more than I can actually. I can convey a lot of knowledge, but I can't seem to uh, become sober with regards to my sex addiction. So, uh, a couple of weeks ago, it's only a miracle that I came down here. Uh, anyway, I'm here, and uh, I basically was talking to my father. I've kind of always parented my parents. Uh, I don't judge him anymore. I've tried to let go of some of the resentment. Uh, he's he's done time and all that regarding, uh, you know, he, he sexually molested all of us. Uh, he was a rageaholic. Anyway, at this point, I don't even care about all this, the sexual things that went on in our family. I don't even care about the fact that he did time or didn't do time because to me, after being in different treatment centers, it doesn't matter. Uh, the resentment is what's been killing me, and I'm at a point now with my dad. I had the discussion with him. I basically counseled my own parents, but the problem is, is now they're 
still, they haven't given up on their son. <clears throat> and <clears throat> I'm broken. They're broken. But we're all still trying. And uh, this, this here moment with uh, David and David, Dave and Dan, it's kind of happened with my father and I, except for he doesn't, I don't think, fully accept what's gone on, but I'm not really trying to blame at this point. I'm just trying to understand it. And I understand the intergenerational part, but the thing is I can't stop it, so I'm like a, I'm like somebody that uh, really can't practice what he might know. And uh, I'm just here to try and uh, actually get a few, a little bit of sobriety without uh, ruining my life. And I just, I think this is phenomenal, and uh, I appreciate them sharing. Thanks. Thank you. My name's Adam. I'm a sexaholic. Um, appreciate you guys sharing. I can relate. Uh, I was exposed by my dad's stash. And it's ironic when I, you know, work through the steps. And I remember um, I grew up on a farm. And uh, I remember I was rummaging through one of their trailers one time. And I found um, another stash, which I can only assume was either his old stash or another male in my family's stash an uncle or my grandfather. Uh, but I wanted to come to this this meeting because I have a 14-year-old daughter um, who lives with my ex-wife in New Mexico. And um, so I know that someday, somehow, uh, this will come up, um, either by my own volunteering or something will happen. Um, so I wanted to see how how it worked, you know, and in regards to my dad, um, again, the same thing you had. Uh, when I first figured out that I was a sexaholic, I wanted to just beat my dad up, you know. I'm like, dude, this this is your fault. This is all you. And, uh, you know, as I worked the program, I realized that it's not all you, it's all me. It's, it's how Adam deals with what Adam saw, you know. And, um, and my dad, you know, with the, he was in the Navy too, um, I remember him not being around a lot, and then when he was, he was fighting with my brother and stuff like that, or my mom. Um, and now that I'm almost 41, he has really made bounds, leaps and bounds towards getting to know, well, me and my wife now. Um, and I, I live in Louisville, and my family, all of them are uh, in California, so, like, when he calls, it's a, I'm, his long-distance bill, I'm sure, is huge, um, and there were times, like, even, like, two years ago, he forgot to call me on my birthday, <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, resentment, but he's really, he's really gone outside of himself lately, so I, I guess I'm just glad to see that he's coming around and that maybe somehow... God is going to put me in a position to share with him in a positive way, not venting, um, to, to heal from his disease and my disease. So um, thanks for sharing, guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you. 
I'm Jim, a grateful recovering sexaholic. Hi, Jim. Uh, thank you for your shares, uh, even though you're from the boat school, and I went to school slightly north of that. But uh, I'm the, uh, the son of a raging sexaholic and the father of a sexaholic, so uh, there is no doubt in my mind that this is a generational disease. Um, but I want to share that there is some hope. Um, after I'd been in program a couple of years, uh, I had an opportunity to go on a golfing trip with my father, and my one of my and normally my two brothers would go with us, so it'd be four of us. But my youngest brother had to bow out, and so my dad extended the invitation to my youngest son, who is my only son that plays golf. This is the same trip that uh, 12 years earlier I had arrived early at the airport to be picked up uh, uh, in uh, overseas and had seen my dad dropping off the woman that he was with for the period of time before I got there at the airport. So he was sending her away in order to pick me up. Um, so it, that was sort of Katie barred the door for my sexaholism at that point. Uh, clearly, if my dad was doing that, it was uh, uh, no limits on what I could do. Um, but on the trip with my son, I had been in program a couple of years, as I said at this point, and but my father was still sort of his old self, and he, I remember one time he made a comment to a waitress in, uh, in a restaurant that we were at that I felt was completely and totally inappropriate, that before I would not have, I would have either joined in on or, or ignored. But this time I was able to act. I was able to call him on it at that moment, not in a, in a harsh way, just in a way that told him that I was not willing to tolerate it, and, uh, and didn't expect that behavior from him. And um, a couple years later, when my wife and I decided to disclose to our children um, my disease, when I was disclosing to my youngest son, he said, oh, now I understand why you said that in that restaurant. So there is hope. If you change the way you act, there is hope you can send a message. Thanks. Let me share. I just wanted to comment on that. That's there's a part in the big book where it talks about the family situation is bound to improve, and that that the biggest thing for me was what he was doing. There's, I mean, obviously he made me aware of his addiction and of the meetings and this and that, and that's great. But what the change in him that I saw and the change in his actions and what you shared, that's really what started to make the difference. Started to make me go, huh? And it was like the attraction rather than promotion. You know, like I'm going, that's awesome, and he's happy, and I want that. So. My name is David F., and I'm a sexaholic. Um, a lot of things have gone through my mind, and I just felt I really needed to share. Um, first of all, I want to thank Dan and Dave for sharing their stories. I since the first meeting I went to, I've pretty much been in the rooms with one or the other of both, or both of these two. And um, and I just want to express that their actions and their commitment to recovery have been a, um, have truly been them working the 12th step on my behalf. Uh, but I came into recovery 
because of my children. I looked at my behavior and I looked at my children and I thought, how can I be a father and act like this? And um, for many years in recovery, I've thought, how am I going to tell them? How am I going to? How can I change to to keep them from going down this path? And uh, and so I'm grateful for the hope that I get from these stories. But also, um, kind of the question that I still have, and I know that God will show it to me, but I know also that He shows me things through others. And so I wanted to to put this out there. Is my oldest son is 11 years old now. My youngest daughter is is five, and I've got two in between. And um, and I'm really considering with what they're dealing with and this, that, and the other, trying to know how to know when to disclose to them and what to disclose. Obviously, don't want to just lay it all out on them as, at that, this age, but certainly there are things I need to disclose. And um, and so. That's my hope and what I'm looking for as, as I listen to these stories and as I work my program is when, when's the right time and what is the right thing to share. So, thanks. I'd like to respond a little bit to that one. Uh, you know, I, I'm not in management anymore. Um, you know, my sponsor is my manager. And uh, when I have a major decision like that, it's really, really been good for me to run it by my sponsor and, and then just follow that example. And, you know, we've talked a lot of that stuff through. And, again, thanks for your share, Dave. Yet one more David sexaholic. Hey. <laughs> uh, thank you, gentlemen, for your, your sharing. And, and I, I really welcome this topic also. Um, very interesting that um, I made I went to great lengths to hide any of any evidence of my acting out. There was no paper trail. Nobody knew anything about it. It was a very secret life. I, w- I went to insane lengths to keep it that way. Um, when I finally came into program, my wife wasn't really aware. And um, when I finally made a disclosure to her after being in the program a year and a half, I, I watched her really fall apart and as she saw that everything she believed was not really what was there um, but she had no idea and my kids had no idea either and several years into recovery suddenly I, I'm amazed how even if they didn't know about it if they didn't see it they weren't aware of it somehow there's a genetic component there's something an atmosphere a sexual atmosphere in the house or something that can affect um, our, our kids and um, Certainly, I was planning to make a disclosure to my teenage son and actually sat down and written it out, what I was going to say, and was prepared to do it in a couple of weeks when my wife um, caught him staying up very late at night um, so we could uh, access pornography on the computer when everybody else was asleep. And uh, so I was, ended up making that disclosure to him a little earlier than I planned to. Um, and then... About a year later, my daughter, basically, who was 15 and a half, 15 at the time, fell apart and um, got involved with, uh, she had a very severe eating disorder and then uh, started sneaking out of her room at night uh, without me knowing it through the window to meet with boys and hook up and uh, drugs and drinking. Um, when she finally got into prostitution, we took her, drag, dragged her screaming and scratching and biting uh, to a treatment center. Um, and she's been back about seven weeks now, and 
it's frankly miraculous, the change. And I'm very grateful that I'm in this program and that my wife is in Essanon and that we're able to see that there are solutions and there, it's not hopeless. Um, and I think that sometimes the only way we can change this intergenerational uh, addiction is to break the cycle and talk and, and speak to our kids and let them know and, and let them know that there's help. And we can also be a beacon for them, let them know that we are seeking recovery. And I think, you know, so we're ashamed that we have this addiction. It's the greatest thing they can see that their parents are also seeking help. Thanks. Thanks. My name is Doyle, and I'm a sexaholic. I'm really grateful for Dan and Dave's story. Um, I just um, want to share a little bit about the parallel. Um, I grew up in a family where addiction, and I don't think it's just a gender, father, son kind of an issue at all. Um, my mother was a prescription drug addict and actually suicided from overdosing with prescription drugs. Um, but I also kind of also saw I grew up in a family with the cycle of acting out and acting in. And when my son himself um, was a teenager, and as I've heard someone else share about trying to teach him, um, I had a pretty strong reaction when my wife was upset by the uh, him wanting to have a, a calendar girl up on his wall. And as a teenager, I thought that was pretty normal. Didn't understand uh, that she was reacting pretty strongly to the uh, addictions that she was aware that I had through our discoveries. And um, there's been multiple discoveries in my relationship with my wife. Uh, my addictions, as we talk, addictions are, are you know, multiple in our lives. Um, I had a drug addiction myself, went to the penitentiary when I was 22 years old for uh, drugs, and I stopped using drugs, and my sex addiction just took off and exploded and uh, continued uh, continues to this day to be something I'm continuing to work in recovery, but um, my wife is in recovery as well. My son is 24 years old, and he and I have had some very frank discussions now about my addiction. Uh, a year and a half ago, just no, actually just a little over a year ago, Christmas time, uh, he was home, and my daughter was home, and we had a therapy session where I disclosed my addiction. My wife disclosed her co-addiction to them, and my son uh, is out of the country right now, and one of the greatest joys um, that I have and is um, uh, partly the experience of you two uh, has been encouraging with that but I was able to give him a big book and a white book to take with him as he went overseas and he recently sent an email uh, just a, a few uh, a few days ago that said he's been reading the big book and it has been an awesome discovery for him and uh, so a great deal of hope uh, in the um, that um, he himself will not have to deal with uh, the kind of devastation that's happened in my marriage, in my life. My daughter and I have begun some healing in our relationship, and I hear you talk about your healing uh, parent to child. It just starts small, as I heard you share, just a simple attraction rather than uh, promotion of who I am. And uh, I continually ask God for the mercy and grace to uh, continue to reveal healing in my life and that makes a difference in my daughter's life but I'm grateful to be here it's obvious that um, this particular workshop is a great need and I'm glad they have it this year uh, for uh, many of us needed to talk about this issue so thanks Thank you. I'm, a Mike. I'm Mike a recovering sexaholic 
And thank you. I did tell you that remark. I'm, I'm really surprised that we, we haven't had this subject before, and I really feel like you probably could go on for another hour of just the interest we've seen. Uh, I have three children by my first marriage, 48, uh, 46, and 39. Um, a daughter by my uh, second marriage, um, not my uh, natural daughter, but uh, uh, with those four children, I have three grandchildren. Um, I've been a sex addict, uh, I guess, 50, 55 years. I don't know really when it started, but um, what I do know is that uh, in my change of attitude, which only started about five years ago when I went into recovery, um, it, uh, a lot of bells went off that, uh, that things came together through my research of uh, family family history that uh, and then in, in, in uh, the SA program and also counseling that uh, this was a hereditary thing. And so I started doing some, some research. Uh, in 1998, I found out that, uh, that my, my father molested, sexually molested my daughter, who was four years old. He, was, he had passed away then, and um, I, didn't, I, I didn't know about sex addiction then I, I knew something was going on with me, but uh, I just had no clue uh, why my attitude was like that, how I could dismiss uh, easily uh, uh, how I treated treated women. Uh, I was separated uh, for 10 years, and that's when it really when it went crazy. But uh, during that, that period, I, my attitude toward women um, showed. I didn't realize that even when I was raising my children that... Uh, uh, when I I've uh, disclosed to to all our children and uh, and I think uh, it may have been a little premature, but uh, uh, some of the positive things about that is I heard a comment from my oldest daughter saying that when the kids get together that you know he's really trying and um, and then my my other daughter, her youngest daughter, who was had been sexually molested, uh, we we had dinner one night and. And it floored me when she said, when we were talking about spirituality, she said, "Dad, you won't, uh, you wouldn't know how how I've, uh, how I've come in contact with my my higher power." But and we got to talking about um, this is what floored me: uh, how naive and how out of just out of touch with reality when I was raising those children. She said, "Did you ever wonder why I didn't bring my girlfriends down to the lake?" She said, I noticed when I brought my girlfriend how you looked at them. Oh, man, that just killed me. And I and uh, I, I really didn't know what to say except my attitude had changed. And what made me think about, okay, I've heard this in, in recovery, that I don't want my purpose in life to be a warning to others. My purpose in life is, is with a new attitude is that I want to be an example of and a, a, a breaker of this addiction. Not My children have seen a change in me. I, I can't go to them and, and say, are you an addict? Or I, can, I know my, my daughter who was abused is a workaholic, and she's having some issues. Uh, and But I, I can be an example, and if it's a red flag. If, if they see some, some touches... Of uh, some problems, I'd like to think that I would be a source 
and at least they know uh, what to do uh, to get help early and not go for 50 years, 45 years, with me not even knowing what addiction was. My grandchildren are three, two, and one, and gosh, thank God, I'm in a position with an attitude change that I can make a difference with them. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you. Thank you. Thank each one of you for coming and sharing, and, and uh, it's been a wonderful session just to be able to be with you here. Anything you've heard at this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. The principles of essay are found in our 12 steps and 12 traditions. Uh, let's close it. If we can, we'll circle up. Thank you. Quick. Uh, with uh, the third step prayer. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, your best source for experience, strength, and hope from the SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choose either monthly or a one-time donation. Music was provided by Matt P. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.